we both had had experience working in retail and really loved retail for the fact that you get to build up relationships with guests much more easily um, than in a restaurant or a bar setting because your guests come back, many of them, even almost every day. Open up the champagne. Hello and welcome to Disgorged, a fun and spirited look at the world of wine and drinking. I'm your host, Zach Jabal, and coming up on the show today, I chat with Stevie Stacionis. She's the owner of Bay Grape, which is one of my favorite wine shops in the world. We talk about building community, being accessible, and what's most exciting in the world of wine. Before that, a thought. I was listening to another podcast the other day, and they were talking about how intimidating it can be to go to a wine shop. The conversation was mostly centered around online wine clubs and how they're more approachable to wine newbies. And I have to say, I disagreed with many of their conclusions. While buying wine online might be the future, I'm far from convinced that it's a brighter one. The biggest concern I have about online wine clubs was one that was raised on the podcast, that in many cases the wines that are being sold are purchased as bulk juice or even finished wines, then repackaged to be on trend and sold at a price well above their quality level. As I've touched on a number of times, there are only so many ways to make cheap wine, and none of them are all that pretty when you look closely. I feel like I would be outraged if I learned that the bottle of wine I spent $15 on cost mm, 2 or $3 to make. Online wine clubs also deny the fundamentally social nature of wine. While I'm sure that many of you will disagree with me, I tend to think that drinking wine solo is almost always less enjoyable than sharing a bottle with loved ones and friends. Just because a drone can fly a bottle of $12 Chardonnay through your living room window doesn't mean that we should claim that as the future of wine drinking. Joining me today on Disgorged is Stevie Stacionis. She's the owner of the fantastic wine shop Bay Grape in Oakland, California. Uh, Stevie, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, as we were talking about in the in the pre-show warm-up, uh, I'm a big fan of the shop, so it's always a privilege to get to talk to people who do, who are doing things in wine that um, make me excited about wine. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of those people, but you guys are definitely uh, some of them. Well, thank you, sincerely. Um, so how did you first get interested in wine? Um, were there specific wines or experiences that kind of drove you down that path? So I started working in restaurants when I was 15 and um, consistently tried to, I think, get out of restaurants and into my real career. Um, I went to the University of Southern California and was then very lucky to actually get my first job out of an internship, um, which was working as a food and travel writer for Angelino Magazine. Um, so kept kind of falling back into restaurants as I tried to really make it as a food and travel writer. Um, and then I guess when the publishing industry kind of, not kind of, really crashed along with everything else in 2008, um, really had no choice but to go back into working in restaurants full time. And at that point, I had also um, been together with my husband and now business partner, Josiah Baldovino. And he was working in restaurants. That's where we actually met um, and was studying wine quite formally. And 
I decided that if I could also study wine quite formally and take some of my restaurant background and leverage it into being a wine writer, that I would have an even more sort of unique background um, to get me more writing gigs. And so I started studying wine along with Josiah. I went to the Court of Master Sommeliers um, and then met my mentor, Laura Manick, and thought to open Cork Buzz with her. Also worked at Crush Wine and Spirits in between that after publishing industry sort of fell apart. So I guess there's all these sort of just like little dots that I thought were leading to like a really more formal and professional writing career and just kept falling back into eating and drinking a lot. Um, One of the things I think that really drew me emotionally back to wine pretty frequently was this idea of sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, Wine and food both seemed to me to be something that even as the rest of our kind of culture and society moves towards less personal interaction, you know, more technology, um, wine and food really physically brought people together. And I remember doing some reading on the history of wine and came across something that mentioned that throughout most of history, wine had been packaged in roughly the same size container that it is today, 750 milliliters which was too big for one person to drink alone in one typical setting. And that just really completely captivated me. The idea that it was something that still today and throughout history required a physical interaction with someone else was really special. And when I started thinking about it, all of my memories of great wines were with someone else, Mm -hmm. with people sharing them and having that same experience at the same time. Um, So I think that's what ultimately led me, I guess, to feeling like I was doing something meaningful, creating this this shared experience for people in a time that otherwise lacks a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. I think the the community aspect of of wine is something that when you, it's really clear to me having visited Bay Grape a few times that that's something that, that you guys put a, a strong priority on that, that, um, socialization and the sharing of wine and the engagement with other people, um, and using maybe wine as the, as the entry point for that, it definitely seems like a, a real important, um, part of it. And, and seems like something, um, that you guys really emphasize. Um, I was going to say, so, so you obviously were working in and around wine in New York for quite a while, and then mm-hmm. and sort of moved back to California. Is there a way in which, um, like, or what ways in which are the are the wine industries and the kind of people who engage with wine um, are they different? And if so, how? Or maybe if not, then um, that maybe uh, speaks to something too. In New York versus California? Yeah. Um, good question. I guess I haven't put that much thought into that before but now that you mention it um i guess california and new york are really different in terms of the people overall not just in wine um i find and this is really really broadly generalizing and stereotyping but i find that um california is very collaborative and really 
community focused and everybody kind of supports each other and holds each other up. And New York, I think, by necessity, is much more competitive. Um, that's not at all to say that there isn't the most incredibly supportive network of wine professionals in New York. There's a really strong, incredible community that I still very proudly consider myself a, a decent part of. But um, so many good, good friends in that um, that are cheering each other on. But overall, I think I saw a lot more in California of this this desire to share and especially having the winemakers so close by and getting to know them and them being interested in what is selling in our stores or on our restaurant lists. And I think more and more making wines that fit with that and us, I don't know, promoting those winemakers from such an intimate level, being so close to them. That was really special. Um, At the same time, like Californians are really relaxed. And so sometimes from a professional perspective, it's like, come on, you guys, let's get our our stuff together. Let's like go out and do something and like be ambitious and let's get together and taste. And um, I guess we, we just are kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go for a hike. And in New York, (laughs) there's a little bit more of that like drive, I guess. So there's, there's good and bad on, on both sides or, I don't know, maybe your question wasn't about what's good or bad, but they're different, I think, just as a result of the the people and the overall style of both, not necessarily of the wine industry specifically. That's just reflected by that. Well, I think you make a really good point about the, the proximity of wine production having some impact on the sort of wine retail and uh, selling side uh, because you have you end up with the ability to yeah develop relationships with the people who are making the wine. And not that that can't happen in a market like New York, where obviously you're getting lots of producer visits, both from domestic wineries and international wineries. But it's not the same as having the vineyards nearby, the winemakers in the community regularly. Um, I mean, that's the thing I see up here in Seattle as well, is, you know, we have quite a few winemakers um in this community, either who live on this side or are at least here a lot, and you get to know them and you get to know their wines and you get to talk with them about why they do what they do. And I think it gives kind of more of a, uh, an, I guess, an inside perspective or just a, a more of a sense of um, everyone is kind of working towards the same goal, which is to, you know, promote and sell really cool, interesting wines. And whether they're local or not is almost immaterial. But it does kind of create more of that, yeah, community vibe. Whereas I think, yeah, having only very briefly worked in New York, from uh, me personally, and not really around fine wine at all, um, there's definitely a little bit more of uh, you're, you. You realize very quickly there that you have ten thousand other restaurants that you're competing against, and it does create, yeah, some little bit more of that tension. Yes, completely. I think the important thing to take away about, I guess, how they're different is that it's really special that we are so close in the Bay Area to so many amazing producers and we can form these really solid relationships and also get a pretty intimate understanding of the winemaking process, the realities of harvest difficulties or challenges. Um, I don't know. It's there. I feel very grateful to consider many of my favorite winemakers really close friends and the sense of community and collaboration that comes from that proximity is really special. And that's not to say that New York doesn't have it at all. And certainly they have really cool up and coming regions in Long Island and in the Finger Lakes, but it feels like access to the winemakers is much more readily available here 
than there. Mm-hmm. And I love that. It's also really special to get to turn guests on to the fact that these are people like single or couples, singles or couples or families that are actually making these wines and you buying them and drinking them is quite literally putting food on their table. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that understanding, even for me as someone in the industry that was used to working with small producers, until you get to know these guys and sit together around the dinner table with them, you don't really fully realize the significance of that. And for a lot of our guests, it's still a little bit of a surprise that this isn't a company behind it, you know, and a big, huge kind of production with different sales and marketing teams. It's just, it's just a a guy or a woman or a family. So Mm -hmm. that I think would be the big, the big point to make there. Yeah. And it does seem like something that, that very much in that sense fits with the kind of California or maybe broadly West coast ethos of sort of having a connection with the person who's producing whatever it is, whether it's growing your tomatoes or, um, or making your wine that, that being able to have that connection. And you guys bring a lot of those winemakers into Bay grape, right? I'm pretty sure I see lots of Instagram photos of you guys with, uh, with producers from, from the general area. Yeah. Well, again, I, I feel so super honored and grateful, but these guys are our friends. And so we just did like a winemaker series and we had 16 or 18 different of our favorite California winemakers coming in and teaching Sunday school for consecutive weekends. And it was so cool to be able to have such amazing and now quite well-known California winemakers that I was able just to reach out and say on a personal level, it would really be an honor for you guys to come in and teach this. I think our guests would get a lot of it out of it. And for so many of them to be so willing and so generous with their time and energy was really amazing. I think that's very emblematic of the sort of California mentality in the winemaking community. Mm-hmm. So kind of coming back to the various ways in which Bay Grape functions, both as wine shop and somewhat wine bar and education space, when you guys, when you set out to kind of develop the concept, was it was the idea that you would do all of those things or did they kind of arise organically as you were like, well, our, our, our guests want this or the community doesn't have anything else like this. Like what, what, when you sat down and sketched out Bay Grape, did it look like what it looks like now? Um, it did. Of course that, that came up about pretty organically and over months of conversation, Josiah and I first actually found the space that we ultimately opened Bay Grape in because we lived in the neighborhood and it was a space that had been vacant for almost three years, and there's a good number of vacant storefronts in our neighborhood. And, you know, you just you kind of walk by and don't pay much attention to it. There was paper in the windows. It had a bunch of graffiti on it. And that's just something you sort of look the other way towards something more beautiful as you're walking by. And one day, the paper had fallen down inside the window, and we could see inside, and it's this beautiful space that it is essentially right now and we thought wow it's crazy that our neighborhood has such an amazing space with nothing happening in it what would you put in if you were going to open something there and it just sort of started as that casual conversation um and of course having worked in wine for a decade prior we both were like something with wine and so then it was like would it be a wine bar would it be a shop and i guess through those months of casual conversation which then became not so casual and really intentional we decided that 
we we both had had experience working in retail and really loved retail for the fact that you get to build up relationships with guests much more easily um, than in a restaurant or a bar setting because your guests come back, many of them, even almost every day. Mm-hmm. And so you get to track their preferences. You get to know what's going on in their lives and kind of follow them. And that relationship building obviously fit in very closely with sort of the reasons that I expressed earlier that we loved wine and the fact that it brought people together. We also thought that the hours were a little bit more attractive than a traditional uh, restaurant or bar. Um, and then we felt like when we were starting to get interested in wine, we had looked a lot for places that we could learn fairly seriously, but comfortably and in a really relaxed, easygoing fashion. And we hadn't been able to find anything like that. So the closest that we both remembered was a place in LA, one of our favorite shops and, um, It's called Silver Lake Wine, and they had done these amazing educational tastings a few times a week. And Josiah and I had both frequented those. Josiah ended up working there. Um, We became quite close with the owners, and we just talked about how much that benefited us in terms of learning about wine and how much we remembered enjoying that. And so we decided if we could have a shop that also had tastings, kind of like they had had, And then my experience at Cork Buzz also in New York had taught me that there was a lot of professionals um, that also wanted a little bit more serious education. So we thought we could add classes and with our network of friends here that are really well-versed in wine as educated sommeliers or as winemakers, we could probably have some really cool classes. And so the idea started sort of growing to really incorporate education in a way it was very intentional and a lot more thorough than we had seen in other wine shop settings. And then when we realized that there was going to be a table so we could have classes, then we thought, well, oh, this communal table, you know, people, if they come in and they want to learn about wine, but we're not having a class or tasting, how can we offer them something without blowing into a full-blown wine bar? So we decided, okay, what if we allow people to open bottles? And that's something that's really unique in California and I don't know, maybe other states, but definitely different than New York. You can actually um, serve and sell or sell on and off premise in the same place Mm -hmm. um, with a proper license. So we decided, okay, we'll allow people to open bottles, drink them here. And then we'll just really emphasize like every time that someone is opening or drinking something, we want to give them some kind of really tangible educational takeaway. So that's sort of like how it all spiraled into what it is right now. And then also with that communal table, I was like, well, community is really important and sharing wine is really important to us. And so it became, we're a wine shop focused on offering education and growing community. Cool. That's awesome. I mean, that's definitely the the vibe I've I've gotten in there. And it's cool to know that that was to some extent the, the purpose all along uh, or the goal all along. Um, so how is how is sort of serving and uh, selling wine in in at Bay Grape different than sort of the experiences you'd had previously in in restaurants or even other in wine bars? Is it do you get more people who kind of come in for they're looking for bottles and they're like, well, maybe I'll stick around and have a glass of wine or 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 what? Like, is it is it a little bit of everything? It's a little bit of everything. It's funny because we're still a fairly unique concept. There's a lot of bars that also are like sort of secondarily 
you can also take a bottle to go. Mm-hmm. So we sort of operate as a bar first and foremost and a retail shop second. We're kind of flipped. And so we don't have a buy the glass program. If you'd like to drink there, if we're doing a tasting, you can participate in a tasting. And if we're doing a class, you can participate in the class. Otherwise, if you want to drink there, you open a bottle. And we charge the retail price for the bottle plus a $5 corkage fee to open it and drink it there. And that is really confusing to people on their first time in. I am not going to lie and make it sound like this is easy. I cannot tell you how many people when we first opened were like, that is stupid. Like, <laughs> just did not. I mean, literally, like, I can't tell you how many people literally told me that's stupid. Like, to my face. <laughs> um, and in the early days when it was kind of a push and people didn't really realize the value that was inherent in that kind of situation. And just were like, but I just want a glass. People would come in and sit at the counter and tell me how to run my business. And, you know, if you guys thought about this and then if you put it in a kitchen and it basically was like, okay, so now we're just going to be a restaurant like everywhere else. Um, But it was really took a ton of like every single guest coming in, us being really excited about what we offer, being willing to take as much time to kind of explain the benefits of that to people. And also just being really cool about saying, okay, if you're looking for a glass of wine, I'm happy to point you somewhere else. We do this a little bit differently and and I hope you come back and enjoy it. And people did, you know, people started to come around and get excited about it. I think in terms of your question, how does our service differ? Um, Obviously we don't have a restaurant and so um, there's no full kitchen. Um, There's no menu. You walk in and the typical experience is people walk in, we say, hey, kind of let them on their first time kind of look around like what what do what do I do you know um now of course a lot of people know what we are and know sort of how it works but especially in those first times they're like did I just walk into a shop or into a bar is this a restaurant what do I do so we go up and greet every guest and ask is this your first time here um for those that it is we give them a rundown of how we work happy to help you pick out a bottle to take to go or if you feel like enjoying something here we can open anything that you want and then we really talk through each individual guest preferences mm-hmm. um try to figure out if they are in the mood for something i think i think a couple of things i think for most people walking into a wine shop is about the most intimidating thing they do in that day um and they're very scared they're going to be put on the spot or asked a question that they don't know the answer to or made to look ridiculous. So trying to really be gentle and easygoing and relaxed and kind of funny with people to set them at ease. And then to, to start to figure out if they already had a taste in their mind of something that they wanted, but they don't know how to explain it, or if they really don't have anything in mind and are kind of looking for direction from you. So the way for me, at least in my sales approach, that it usually goes is, um, are you guys in the mood for anything particular? Have you had anything recently that you really enjoyed? Do you want to kind of try to replicate? And people will be like, I don't know. I think uh, maybe I want to red. Okay. Do you think you want something really big and bold and powerful or something a little bit lighter and fresher or easygoing or maybe something in the middle? I don't know. And a lot of times it'll be like, I want like a Pinot Noir or a Cabernet. 
I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> They're totally different. So let's talk about them. I'll give a quick rundown of like Cabernet I think of as really big and dark and full and bold. It's got some like crisp and neat to it. Pinot Noir I think of as usually lighter, more like red fruit, a little bit softer in tannins. Um, and then they'll usually be like, okay, more of one or the other. Okay. Let's say they say more like in the Pinot Noir. And you're like, okay. Um, how do you feel about acidity, which is kind of like tart, bright, fresh, makes your mouth pucker a little bit. Do you like that or do you want a little less of it? Mm, a little less of it. Okay. Do you want flavors that are more about like fruit or things other than fruit, like flowers or herbs or earth? And really, like, this is a pretty long conversation, but it makes the guests, like, really start to think about what they are wanting and already primes them. They're like, okay, I said these things that I wanted. Now when I get this bottle, I'm going to taste it, and I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I see what she means. So I think they're already sort of primed to, to like it, or even if it, it wasn't exactly what they had in mind, they know that they're getting something a little bit different because we already sort of talked through it. And I usually end up, after getting kind of all the criteria, picking out two or three bottles that I think would be appropriate for them, telling them the story about each of the wines and some background and why I love it, and then letting them choose from there. Mm-hmm. And then we open it, and we let them taste. I always say, if this isn't something that like really makes you happy, then we'll pick something else, because it's honestly no sweat for me if I open it and they're like not feeling it. I can pour that by the glass for somebody that just really wanted by the glass that evening, or I can use it for staff education or Josiah and I have a bottle most every night at home when we get home. So we'll drink that that night. (laughs) Um, So really make sure that they're happy. Great. They are, they're sitting down and then we just let them relax and kind of check in with them a little bit later, ask them how they're enjoying it, which I guess would be similar to like a restaurant, but it's such a slower, more relaxed pace. We can really have a conversation with people about it, make sure that they're happy. Um, And then we have a few snacks that are packaged um, so we can set people up picnic style. It's just we emphasize to people, like, we're really relaxed here. You guys can, like, pick a bottle on your own. You can get it up. Like, you can ask us for help. You can do it yourself. You can grab water at the end of the counter or you can ask us to grab it. Like, just make yourself at home. Make yourself feel comfortable. So it's very, very relaxed in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, then when we present the bottles and we pour, we really try to offer, like, what I call certified sommelier-level service, um, which, of course, most of our staff, including me and Josiah, has gone through the Court of Master Sommeliers program. And so the certified sommelier level of service is like what you would do in a sommelier exam. So it's presenting the bottle properly, opening it properly, which is quite formal, but we encourage our staff to have a kind of relaxed body language and of course conversation with guests, um, but still to feel like they're really well taken care of. Um, All the little steps that you would go through in a fine dining restaurant, um, we try to tailor to our our shop so sort of a combination of relaxed and easy going with very high level service if that makes any sense it does it does um so when it comes to kind of that that first interaction with uh with someone who comes into the store who's who's not familiar and who's someone maybe someone's told them to that they should check it out or they um 
or they've just they're walking by or or who knows what how often do you kind of just have to like whether literally with this kind of word these kind of words or just sort of uh maybe more gently like this isn't like you're used to like we're do we do things differently here <laughs> how often do you have to kind of say that uh like every time when it's someone's first time <laughs> or even a lot of people they're like yeah i've been in but i can't really remember and so i try to it's all about you know i think in some ways my like writing background helps with this like it's about like tone and word choice to really convey the proper message so if people are like eh, i haven't been in here like i don't get it i'm like oh awesome i'm so glad that you guys came um let me give you a rundown um we're a little bit different or sometimes people will be like so do you have tastings or can you buy bottles or like how does it work i'm like well everything and nothing all at once. I'm like, so yeah, I think it's just really important that we convey to people like, this is going to be a great time. You're in good hands. Like relax, don't be stressed out. And letting them know right up front, like we do things differently, but it's going to be fun is important. Absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a message that hopefully puts people kind of at ease. They go, oh, okay, I don't have to, I don't have to feel like I have to walk in here with a ton of knowledge or, or sort of that thing that I feel like, I experienced more. I do experience more on the floor of a restaurant than I experience uh, when I when I've worked retail in the past, where where peop, there's a sort of um, I don't know, just like a slight potential combativeness, where the the sense that like yeah. is this person trying to like convince me to buy this more expensive bottle of wine because they want a bigger tip or bigger check average or whatever, you know? Um, and I guess obviously that some of that dynamic can hold true in a wine shop, but I think it's a little easier for people to kind of look at the look at those prices and and understand how they're how the how the the you know wine shop has arrived at that price i guess or seems like people don't bulk at price in a wine shop as often or there's more options for them at a lower price point or who knows what um well sometimes sometimes i will say a lot of people they they come in thinking we just want to have a glass of wine and they have in their mind like okay if i go to an average place in the bay area i can probably get a glass for eight to twelve bucks and then they come in and certainly, I mean, we have bottles that start at 10 bucks, but mm. most I would say are in the 20 to $40 price point. So then they're thinking, oh, so now I'm going to have to spend 40 bucks plus $5 corkage just to get my like glass of wine. Like this is stupid. And you're like, well, but you're actually getting like five glasses of wine <laughs> and you also don't have to spend 40 bucks. Like you can spend 15 and come out with five glasses of wine. So it's just sort of um, anticipating people's fears, concerns, and really reading. This is the same as in any restaurant setting. Reading your guests is so important and adjusting your tone, your approach to them to set them at ease is really important. There's certainly we get some older guests that are very um, rigid and really used to what they're used to, less interested in and excited about exploring and you need to know to like play it safe with them don't push them way out of their comfort level then there's people that come in they're kind of like a little like irreverent they're a little kind of like bonkers they're really excited and you can tell like okay we're gonna have to come up to their level and I sometimes will joke with them like so like, what do you mean you don't have to buy the glass? And you're like, I know, it's just going to be a terrible day for you. Like, <laughs> like kind of joking in that sense. I'm like, reading the guests to make them understand like you're on their side is what we do every day. Cool. 
Uh, so let's let's talk wine more specifically, or at least uh, you know the the stuff that you're excited by. Um, and since you guys are in California, and uh, I would imagine, and and know actually for a fact that uh, you know a fair amount of what you carry is California wine. And I think you know for those of us who aren't in California, and especially for someone like me who works in a in a place where there's a lot of other local wine, I, I actually feel really sadly disconnected from a lot of what's going on in California. So I'm going to totally use this as an opportunity to pick your brain. Um, so what is going on in maybe California broadly or in some specific regions, if it's easier to talk about it that way, uh, that that's exciting to you, um, from a style varietal, whatever production method standpoint, um, you know, what are some things that are, that you, that you are really excited about? Um, everything is going on in California. It's really, it's hard to generalize or pick up certain trends. I mean, obviously the new California movement has been written about to death and everybody is familiar with now these benchmark producers of that movement. And they've gone to household names, I think, throughout a lot of the food savvy markets in the country. Um, But the very exciting part is that we literally have a lot of guests that come in and kind of will casually mention, oh, you know, I worked harvest with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and now I'm making my own wine. And you're like, what? How do you have such rad experience? Like, I would love to try your wine because it sounds like it's going to be incredible. And you get to taste these, like, brand-new projects and start to support some, like, what I think could be the next big things, you know? Um, so there's of course many producers that are doing things like that, um, on a broader level in terms of maybe regions or varieties, I would say Contra Costa County is awesome right now. It's been awesome for over a hundred years. There's some of the oldest vines in the state there. There's a ton of pressure, um, from commercial developers in the area to swap out the vineyards for commercial development. Um, But a lot of really, really cool winemakers uh, heralding those sites and making, I think, very compelling wines from them, um, from a lot of these heritage sites of California. So Contra Costa County for a place, and then maybe the variety that I'm most excited about right now in California is Merlot. There are some young producers that are making some really incredible versions that I think drink very classically, very old world. Obviously, Merlot went through a time when it got really top-heavy and sappy and overripe, and the ones that I've had recently are so fresh and vibrant and that beautiful sort of plummy and soft, mossy earthiness below it. They're killer so i think especially as i'm guessing a few vineyards of merlot probably are less expensive and younger producers are able to get that fruit for cheaper than something like cabernet or pinot noir mm-hmm. i think there's going to be some really dope examples <laughs> cool coming That's out awesome. and then what about stepping outside of california um like what other things are you do you have your eye on places or varietals or whatever uh, I've been saying this for a while, but I'm still not tired of it. Um, I'm excited about Slovenia. Okay. Um, anything sort of Adriatic coastal, but Slovenia, I was there and in the Friuli region on the border as well last summer. And 
I just think they haven't gotten nearly enough attention, and they're really killer ones. Is that lack of attention a like a just an anonymity problem, or is it that it's not really being exported, or at least imported into the United States, or there's just not much of it? You know, or Blue Danube is the main importer of most Eastern European good stuff that I've seen, and they do a killer job. I don't think they get enough recognition either. Um, so I guess everybody go uh, <laughs> buy from Blue Danube. But they're doing a wonderful job bringing in some compelling things. And other than that, I don't. I just don't think it's an area that's really been tapped that much. But geographically, it's pretty much identical to Italy, which obviously is very well tapped. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's the language. Yeah, I think there's a there's like a a ratio of consonants to vowels that people are used to seeing on labels, and if it doesn't look like that, then people stay away. Yeah, and certainly, of course, politically, there's a whole bunch of crazy background there that um, means there are probably plenty of not great wines yet in the area. But I do think that there's a lot of potential, and a lot of producers that I visited last year were doing amazing things. That's awesome. It's cool to hear. I mean, it's a it's a place that uh, you know, I've heard lots about and had a chance to try a little bit of wine from. But it's not necessarily, um, you know, it's it's still so it's hard to get a hold of. And and you know, maybe in a setting like like Big Grape, is maybe a little easier to kind of put in the hands of of a guest than it is in a in a more formal restaurant setting. Where if anything, you know, the there's always that challenge for for a restaurant where you're looking at pricing and. You know, when you're marking wine up, you know, three-ish times wholesale, but give or take, uh, you kind of, you can quickly price interesting stuff out of a, a point where I'd say most people are willing to take a chance on a wine they've never heard of. Um, and that does make it challenging. And, and if you're doing retail markup or plus five bucks or whatever, it's a little bit, uh, maybe a little easier to kind of convince someone that that bottle of um, wine from Slovenia or Croatia or whatever is more, um, more approachable. I would not underestimate the fact that we are in probably the most liberal market in the country, and therefore we can sell pretty much anything that we recommend. Guests are just very willing to try things, um, and I don't think that's the case most elsewhere, so we're definitely lucky in that way. Yeah, for sure. Um, last question for you, Stevie, because I know you got um, lots to do, mm-hmm. and and a child who probably needs some attention too. Not to say that you, not to say that you don't give uh, him lots of attention, but um, <laughs> he passed out on me now. So. Oh, there you go. Uh, and that is, um, do you do you still write some? Do you do you miss that? Uh, or if you don't, I guess, do you miss that sort of outlet? Or or how do you balance? Um, you know what I would think is maybe still something of an interest in writing with uh, with the reality of having a business balance I, have, <laughs> I feel like i have no no balance in my life at all right now so if you're saying um, if I'm your life you're saying lot. if your life was a wine you wouldn't want to drink it oh yeah not right now i would give it i would give it you know um a little bit of time in the cellar gotcha <laughs> um i miss writing so much uh we do a really cool wine club and we always put notes and stories about the producers, why we chose the wine in the, in the shipment for the month. Mm -hmm. So that is a little outlet for me for doing some writing, which I really love, but, um, yeah, I don't get enough of it. 
I miss that. I would love to do more of it. I have some ideas for someday after that <laughs> wine comes out of the cellar and has achieved balance um, of maybe writing a book. And I would love to get a column going again, but we'll see when that happens. Well, I will, uh, I will definitely stay tuned and, uh, and look to, uh, to hear more from you in the future. And of course, uh, as always, anytime I'm in the Bay area, uh, it's a must for me to, to swing by and say hi. So, uh, thanks again so much for your time, Stevie. Really appreciate it. And, uh, best of luck with not just Bay grape, but, uh, all the other ventures. Thank you so much, Zach. It was really a pleasure being here. I hope I didn't ramble too, too much as I have a tendency to do, you know, but, um, yeah, really glad to be on this. Excellent. You know, it's a, the rambling is, uh, it's the thing that happens a lot. That's what that's what makes a podcast is people just talking. <laughs> there's not there's not much else to there's not much else to uh, keep people occupied besides the sounds of our mm-hmm. voices. So uh, I guess we have to talk for a certain <laughs> amount of time. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much, and I, I can't wait to see you next time you're back in the bay. Thanks again to Stevie Stacionis for joining me on Discorched. You can find her at Bay Grape in Oakland or on the internet at Bay Grape. I'm out there on Twitter at Zjabal and on Instagram at Discorched Wine. Thanks so much for listening to Disgorged, and cheers.